Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Hello there, and welcome once again to Canadians in Old Time Radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance, and I invite you to head on over there when you can and have a look at the site, www.cotra, and I think you'll find some interesting uh, tidbits to read about and listen to. For our Made in Canada segment this time, we're going to hear an episode of the Carl Tapscott Singers. The singers were initially called the Commodores, the Four Commodores, but after the war they uh, changed their name to the Carl Tapscott Singers and Among other things, they uh, sang on CBC Radio regularly until 1967. So here's an episode of the Carl Tapscott Singers. Listen to the Carl Tapscott Singers, a 12-voice male chorus with arrangements and direction by Carl Tapscott, assisted at the piano by Lloyd Edwards. Our guest on the program this week is Václavas Verakaitis. Hello, this is Alan Maitland with the Carl Tapscott Singers. It's been a pretty full week, what with the big election in the United States, the diplomatic leak about the secret plans for another Carl Tapscott Singers long play record, and Lloyd Edwards sold another piano. And this is a pretty full half hour of familiar songs, beginning with this one, especially for the benefit of those who like the sea shanties. As I walked down the Broadway one evening in July, I met a maid who asked my trade, Sailor Johnson's I met away, Shanty, my dear honey, oh, New York gals, can't you dance the polka? Tiffany's, I took her, I did not find expense. I bought her two gold earrings, and they cost me 50 cents. Sail away, Santee, my dear honey. Oh, you New York gals, can't you dance the polka? Says she, you lied, you sailor, now see me home you may. But when we reached her cottage door, she up to me did say, Then away, Santee. My dear honey, 
Can't You Dance the Polka? Speaking about old records, there's a bit of nostalgia for our gentleman uh, concerned with this next song. It was one of the songs in the first long play re ever recorded by the Carl Tapscott Singers several years ago. It's sung today at the request of listeners in Saskatoon and Winnipeg. And it's a cowboy song, or a pseudo-cowboy song. It's really a lullaby with a western flavor, I think, called My Little Buckaroo. guest today is Václavas Verakaitis. As you know, we call him Walter because it's easier. And Walter, we've been saving this special request for the day when you would be here to sing it. Our listeners in Wallingford, Vermont, several in Buffalo, New York, Erie, Pennsylvania, Sackville, New Brunswick, Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, New Westminster, Nelson, and Kitimat, British Columbia have requested Panis Angelicus. Walter Verakaitis with the Carl Tapscott Singers. Oh, 
Slavas Verakaitis, with the Carl Tapscott singers, Panis Angelicus, the music of Cesar Frank. Now to our spiritual, and this one goes out with good wishes to correspondents in Victoria, B.C., in Tracker, Alberta, in Toronto, in Lockport, Nova Scotia, and Newcastle, New Brunswick. This hand-clapping music is called Didn't My Lord Deliver Daniel? Exceeding glad for him, 
and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, for he believed in his God. Carl Tapscott singers, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? And that big man, Don Parrish, delivered the gospel. Lloyd Edwards, as many of us did, admired greatly the artistry and humor and the skill of Harpo Marx, the silent member of the Marx Brothers, and we were all sad to learn recently of his death. So from one of the Marx Brothers motion pictures, Night at the Opera, Lloyd Edwards plays the ballad called Alone. Lloyd?
And our thanks to Lloyd Edwards for playing alone all by himself. This is our closest broadcast date to Remembrance Day, November the 11th, Wednesday. It's an anniversary of mixed emotions when we celebrate our deliverance from the aggressor. Pray such a thing may never happen again and mourn the loss of those who gave their lives in bringing hostilities to an end. But these were the men who, when the going was roughest, sang the happiest songs. Here are some of them, sung by the Carl Tapscott Singers. from the First World War. Our guest, Vatsavas Verikaitis, again with a sacred song which will be greatly appreciated, I'm sure, by the Lithuanian communities in Hamilton, in Toronto, and also in Montreal. Although we may not understand all the words, the music, I'm sure, will speak the message. As the birds fly to their nests in the spring, O oh God, guide us to our heavenly home. Parvaski Vyashpatiya.
of drama producer Essa W. Young and his talented actress wife Beth Lockerbie are certainly familiar to CBC radio listeners. One of their most avid fans is Miss Lockerbie's mother, Mrs. Rosalie Lockerbie. Mrs. Lockerbie has also been a constant listener to the Carl Tapscott Singers for many years, and I have the honor of having in my personal file a letter from Mrs. Lockerbie about something I had done that she particularly enjoyed. I'm sure you'd like to join us as we say happy 80th birthday to Mrs. Rosalie Lockerbie. Here is one of her favorite hymns, sung now by the Carl Tapscott singers. Lead kindly light. Lead kindly light amid encircling
Lead Kindly Light. The closing hymn on today's program by the Carl Tapscott Singers. And happy birthday to Mrs. Lockerbie. Thanks to Václav Asverikaitis for his beautiful songs. Thanks to you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's program. We hope also that you join us again next week at the same time when our special guest will be Joyce Sullivan. If you have a request you'd like to hear, just address your letter or card to the Carl Tapscott Singers, care of CBC Toronto. This has been another program in our series presented each week at this time by the Carl Tapscott Singers, conducted by Carl Tapscott and assisted at the piano by Lloyd Edwards. Production was by Arthur Scholes, with the technical assistance of Peter Shuchuk. This is Alan Maitland speaking. This is the CBC Radio Network. As we head into our Canadians Abroad segment, we'll change the pace completely and listen to an episode of Screen Directors Playhouse from uh, April 7th, 1950. And uh, the main star of the play that we'll be listening to is Douglas Fairbanks, as you will hear. But playing a very small role is Raymond Burr, who is uh, the Canadian that we want to feature this time around. He was born in New Westminster, B.C., and went on to have the starring role in both Perry Mason and Ironside, which were television series. So here now is Raymond Burr in... The Fighting O'Flynn. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television, proudly presents... Screen Directors Playhouse, star Douglas Fairbanks, Jr., production The Fighting O'Flynn, director Arthur Pearson. The Hollywood Screen Directors present Transcribed, a play on high adventure. The motion picture story, The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks in his original role of The O'Flynn, with Meg Randall as Lady Benedetta. Ireland, 1797, was a hotbed of plot and counterplot, intrigue and violence. Napoleon Bonaparte's war seemed far away but his agents in Ireland were setting the stage for further conquests. I, O'Flynn of O'Flynn, was a soldier of fortune returning to the small green land of Ireland. 
There was one other passenger in the coach posting for Dublin that fine moonlit night. A lady. English, lovely, <laughs> and most interestingly, aloof. Your pardon me, lady, but what did you say your name was? I did not say. <laughs> she did not say, she does not say, but who can say that she will not say? <laughs> Hi, wait a minute. No, the spies and agents of Napoleon Bonaparte. Bonaparte? They're after me. Is it so? Faster, driver, faster. We can't outrun horsemen. I have a better plan. Hold fast, milady. I opened the door and swung myself up to the coachman's seat. Grasping the reins from him, I swung the coach screechingly in a hard turn that sent the coach sidelong, blocking the road and tearing the wheels from <laughs> Then I jumped to the ground and opened the door for Lady... <laughs> she did not say to step into the room. You madman, now they will catch us. Get behind the coach, quickly. Oh, you madman. Driver, collect all those wheel spokes and pile them up beside me. Hurry! They're coming. I'm ready. You can't fight them with those wagon spokes. Shillelaghs now, milady. Crude but workable Irish shillelaghs. Now, I rose with an armful of heavy wagon spokes and let fly. So! 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 There! Another! There! <laughs> All right, stand where you are, who's left a foot. We pistols, too. Driver, select their three best horses. I'll keep these beggars covered. Well, the moment we were all mounted and still keeping the robbers covered, we wheeled off and raced into the night. We should be starting for Dublin again, O'Flynn. You're even prettier than I dreamed you'd be. What's your name? Benedetta. Benedetta. Benedetta, I like that. I like you. Thank you, O'Flynn. But you mustn't talk so to me. Oh? I'm engaged to be married. Engaged to be... I'll not admit it. Lord Sedgmouth, in my father's service in Dublin. Oh, it's a whim. I'll win you somehow. Lord Sedgmouth or not, I... Uh, a lord in your father's service. My father is a viceroy of Ireland. Sure, and it's the class I've stumbled onto this time. Those highwaymen knew somehow that I was carrying a certain packet to the Viceroy. Packet? Yes. It contains a report of Bonaparte's plan to invade England by way of Ireland. The devil it does. Let me take care of it. Here. Ah, now then. And now then, I think we'd better ride for Dublin, O'Flynn. We found His Excellency, the Viceroy of Ireland, was in the palace garden with Lord Sedgmouth, Benedetta's fiancé. Sedgmouth was very handsome, to be sure. But I felt rather wretched in the stomach when he took my Benedetta in his arms and kissed her. And the Viceroy looked very grave as he finished reading the documents we had brought him. Sedgmouth, this is most serious. Bonaparte's best troublemaker, General Van Dronk, has been sneaked into an old abandoned castle on the coast. Castle Knockmore. Oh, yes, I know the mossy heap of stone. Ah, but do you know Van Dronk? I do, by reputation only. A bitter and moody man, but a great soldier. Nevertheless, I shall myself recruit a force to march on Van Dronk. Accepted, O'Flynn. But Castle Knockmore will take a regiment of trained troops, not amateurs, to capture it. Then see to it, Sedgmouth, at once. Your Excellency, Benedetta. 
Goodbye, Philip. Wait, Sedgemuth. Join me on the terrace. I have some suggestions to offer, if I may. Oh, Flynn, I just want to thank you. Benedetta, I have so much to say to you. Please, not now. Philip will be looking for me. I have been looking for you ever since my grandfather first rested eyes on my grandmother. Good morning to you, old Flynn of old Flynn. Benedetta, wait! I must join Philip and my father. Oh, come down those steps again, but a moment. No. Uh, well, if I, if I rhyme you a rhyme for each step of that stair, <laughs> will you then come down to me? Well, I... perhaps. Oh, oh, my gift of gab befriend me now. Um, uh, if, uh, if patient you'll be and not mark the time, each step you descend, I'll rhyme your rhyme. I've come here to Dublin, sworn to your king. <laughs> Admit for a start that that's quite a thing. Two. I'll do all such deeds as you may entreat, and all that I'll do I'll lay at your feet. There's no more enchanted a man ever grew than I standing here because I love you. My hand, here it is, your heart put therein, protected from hurt by Flynn of O'Flynn. One more step, Jingler. My rhyme may not be as good as my prayers, but yet you have come to the foot of the stairs. <laughs> Ingenious, O'Flynn, uh, if not uh, exactly immortal. Now, when will you marry me? It's useless. Oh. Your words are very nimble. Very nimble and very Irish. Give me your scarf. Why? For my regimental flag. Oh, Flynn, you're incorrigible. A kiss, then. No. Yes. Oh, Flynn, I... insist. I... And... You shouldn't have done that. Goodbye, oh, Flynn. Hendrick. We're in a stew, a foul stew. First I lose your lady Benedetta on the highway thanks to that Irishman, and now you're in a foul stew. Explain, Sedgemuth. Until Bonaparte invades Ireland, my usefulness to him is in serving the Viceroy. True, Sedgemuth. But now the Viceroy has ordered me to capture Castle Knockmore, to capture Van Dronk, our own man. Then capture Van Dronk. What will Bonaparte say to that? I will arrange with Bonaparte for the surrender of Castle Knockmore to your lordship. You will take his place. Ready to open the gates of Ireland when Bonaparte is ready to invade and to reward you for your judicious treason. Down the coast, frowning on the Irish Sea, stood Castle Knockmore, ably and grimly commanded by General Van Drunk, the bloody Saturnine hero of Barter. On a plain west of Knockmore, Sedgemuth's regiment waited and took no action. I wondered why. I hadn't seen Benedetta for two weeks, and again, I wondered why. So thoroughly likable a fellow as I was. Until one evening, as I left a staff meeting at Sedgemuth's headquarters, a carriage rolled to the entrance with Lady Benedetta about to step out of it. Benedetta! Why, oh, Flynn. Come in the evening, come in the morning, come when expected, come without warning. Please go. Thousands of welcomes you'll find here before you, and the oftener you come, the more I'll adore you. Why are you here? 
were staff meeting with Lord Sedgmouth in which your fiancé made the bold decision to remain rooted to this plane. You're not to criticize Philip. And you're not to see me. Why? The pattern of my life is fixed. And it can't be changed by your lilting Irish phrases. Oh. Your, your words and your deeds don't match, O'Flynn. Ah, and what is this now, my darling? You criticize Philip. But can you do any better? No. You're a trifler, a braggart, and an empty kettle. Braggart, is it? Empty kettle? Oh, I'm sorry, O'Flynn, but I just... Go, Benedetta. Greet your leaden soldier in there whose tailored tactical trousers have their share of lead in them. Before this night is over, I'll take Castle Knockmore for you. Alone. Listening to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks and presented by RCA Victor. Here's a word you'll hear a lot this Sunday for describing the hat and dress combinations my lady wears in the Easter parade. It's the word ensemble. You'll also hear that word ensemble wherever people are talking about the newest in America's favorite television, the handsome, practical RCA Victor Tele-Ensemble. The Tele-Ensemble is deluxe 12-and-a-half-inch RCA Victor Eyewitness Television in a handsome, deep maroon, modern metal cabinet. It's called a Tele-Ensemble because it's a compact table model television set that nevertheless rests on its own legs of beautiful matching wood. Two more important features are the built-in antenna and the phonojack. Picture quality is tops, bright, clear, and steady. And the RCA Victor Tele-Ensemble is a terrific dollar-for-dollar -dollar value. Only $229.95 suggested list price, plus small federal tax, of course, and only slightly higher in some locations. Yes, the television set you'll want in your home is RCA Victor's Tele-Ensemble. Now, back to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks in his original role of the O'Flynn, with Meg Randall as Lady Benedetta. I had no plan, only a purpose without a method, to capture Castle Knockmore from within. A raised drawbridge hung over the moat around the castle, black and monstrous in the thick darkness. Halt! Who's there? Captain O'Flynn of His Majesty's Dragoons. Deserting. I have news for General Van Dronk. Enemy deserter! Lower the drawbridge! Your coming here under pretense of being a deserter has a faint glimmer of imagination. A spark of light in the darkness of my boredom. Thank you, General. The military information you bring is worthless. It turns out you are a stupid, torpid, uninspired, backward, untutored, charmless, harmless, and in every other detail as much a lurching oaf as any man. Hey, you uh, don't admire mankind, eh? Can you at least play chess? Chess? Is it chess, you're saying? <laughs> well... In County Wicklow, I am esteemed and remembered as the man who was a lad of three conquered... Sit down. Uh, yes, Mon General. 
Never mind, mon général, I'm not French. Oh. I'm simply Van Dronk, supremely bored. You are unarmed. Quite. I will place this pistol on the table between us. Beat me at chess and it is yours. The... the pistol? I lose, you shoot me. Ah. You lose, I shoot you. Oh. Play. But, um, where is the chessboard? You have a mind, have you not? Well, I, I'm... I'm fond of thinking so. Then imagine a chessboard and chessmen. Is man so earthbound that he cannot even dream a chessboard? Play. Very well. Um, my pawn to the Queen's fourth square. My pawn to the Queen's fourth square. Yeah. Pawn to the Queen's bishop's fourth square. Pawn to the King's fourth. Um, uh, uh, my Queen's pawn uh, captures your pawn. Pawn to the Queen's fifth. Yeah. Um, uh, knight to the uh, King's bishop's third square. Pawn to the Queen's bishop's fourth. I can't remember. I can't remember our moves. Yes. Your pawn to the queen's fourth, my pawn to the queen's fourth. Your pawn to the queen's bishop's fourth, my pawn to the king's fourth. Your queen's pawn captured my pawn, my pawn to the queen's fifth. Your knight to the king's bishop's third, my pawn to the queen's bishop's fourth. Your move. Oh, yes, thank you. My move. Um, my rook captures uh, your queen. My rook to the bishop's eighth and check. Come in. General Van Dronk, dispatch from Bonaparte. Move of Flynn. Oh, Flynn. Shh, my queen to the queen's square. General, this man is a spy, an Irishman and a spy. I know. Plays a hard game of chess, too. I resign. You do? Congratulations, of Flynn. The gun is mine. Don't move. General, you let him get that gun away from you. Do not be dull. He won it fairly. Sergeant, read your dispatch from Bonaparte. If I refuse? I'll shoot you and take it from you. <laughs> Better read it, Sergeant. Very well. To General Van Dronk. After a token resistance, you are to surrender Castle Knockmore to Lord Sedgmouth, who will facilitate the impending landing of French forces in Ireland. Signed. Bonaparte, First Consul. Lord Sedgmouth, I arrest you for high treason. The pistol is not loaded. What? Pull the trigger. Go ahead. The devil. <laughs> arrest the O'Flynn. O'Flynn, when this castle falls to me tomorrow, you will be found here. As British commander, I will order you shot as a traitor. A pretty business, Sedgmouth. Shot, O'Flynn. Day after tomorrow, at dawn. Outside that window. Benedetta. Oh, Flynn. Benedetta, my darling. Come in. 
You shouldn't have come back to the palace. Very curious. Surely you know I was shot this dawn, but you don't exclaim that I'm alive and unhurt. Only that I shouldn't have come back here. But they know of the hoax now, and this time they'll surely kill you. Ah, Benedetta, my darling, it's mischief bribing firing squads to fire mock volleys. But since you did it for the love of me, I lovingly forgive you. Please, please go. (laughs) I'll not leave until you know I'm not a traitor, Benedetta. Oh, I no longer know who or what to believe. I only know that I want you to live. Oh, I wish that... What do you wish? I wish your arms weren't so tender and strong and the right size to hold an unwilling woman in them. How unwilling is she, really? I have my pride and my honor and a duty to the man I've promised to marry. So be it. I've wooed you faithful and I've wooed you true, and no has always been your answer. But now I'm going to see this through before your eyes. What are you doing? Holding this bit of blank writing paper from your desk, milady. Oh, Flynn, you can still go through the window. No. Please. Come in. Benedetta, my dear. Oh, Flynn. My dear Sedgmouth. Benedetta. Ah, uh, this time you'll not escape death, Irishman. What have you to say for yourself? First of all, sir, it's not me that's the traitor, but our stylish friend here, Lord Sedgmouth. Uh, impertinence, absurdity. He's under orders from Bonaparte to surrender Knockmore to the Frenchies, and I can prove it. These are serious charges, O'Flynn. Ridiculous charges. Are they? Then here. Here's the letter, Your Excellency, from Bonaparte to Sedgmouth, which I had the luck to filch from Sedgmouth's pocket. How, how did you... I, your hand goes to your breast pocket, Sedgmouth. But this paper is blank. That one, Yes. But not the one in his lordship's pocket, I'll warrant. Whatever this Irish hothead tells you, Your Excellency, is... Then show him the letter in your pocket. Show him or be called the guilty man if you do not. Show him the letter, Philip. Or be declared under arrest. Under arrest? If you capture me, that is... Stop him! Yes, Your Excellency, stop me! Good! Castle Knockmore! He's gone to signal the French ships! Drawbridge was up and under heavy guard when I again arrived at the gloomy castle. I saw a torch flickering high on the seaward battlement, the rocket platform. Wearily, my heart in my throat, I started up the thick ivy, clothing the sheer walls of Knockmore Bastion. Slowly, ever so slowly, I lifted my head over the parapet. Sedgmouth, torch in hand, peered seaward. A signal rocket at the ready. Two guards, no choice but to be ruthless. I took aim with my one pistol. (laughs) Reversing the empty pistol, I flung it shillelagh fashion at the other guard and caught him squarely on the brow, and he went down as I scrambled over the parapet just in time to meet Sedgmouth's naked sword with mine. Traitor. Fool. O'Flynn, more correctly. Of O'Flynn. Break. Climb up the ivy. Tired me. Great, I say. And bleed. Oh! <laughs> to say, Irishman. What? A drop. On guard, traitor. I warned you. The climb wearied me. No, when it kills you. <laughs> Enough, my lord. Over the horizon somewhere were coming Bonaparte's great men of war. But they could wait, and wait, and wait some more for a signal that would never come. It 
was nearly dawn when I came back to Dublin Palace and Lady Benedetta waiting for me in the garden at our marble rhyming steps. Oh, Flynn, is it over? Oh, Benedetta, my darling. I have a trifling wound which in no way influences the size of my arms for holding a, a willing woman. Flynn of oh, Flynn, the woman is unwilling no longer. <laughs> Benedetta. Dublin Palace, six o'clock. The sun is risen and all's well. Hi. This is Jimmy Wallington speaking. You have just heard the last act of The Fighting O'Flynn. And our star, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., with our guest screen director, Arthur Pearson, will be with us in just a moment. Next Friday, the day belongs to baseball, as another great star brings one of his most amusing performances to the screen director's playhouse. Our story is, It Happens Every Spring. And recreating his original role will be Ray Milland with screen director Lloyd Bacon. Now, here again is tonight's star, Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> Doug, we could really call you the Fighting Fairbanks, couldn't we? <laughs> you mean O Fairbanks. Oh, none of your fancy foreign titles, please. <laughs> I'm talking about plain Douglas Fairbanks, star of all those fighting and adventure pictures. Oh, now, wait a minute, my friend. I, I guess I've been mixed up in as many smooth plots as I have in the muss em up and knock em down variety. <laughs> You know, at heart, I'm, I'm really a very peaceful citizen, far more interested in the, in the pursuits of peace than anything else. Like your great work with care, you mean? Oh. And perhaps like puttering around that beautiful home of yours. Oh, that's right, yes. And I suppose you still get a bang out of slapping paint on canvas and maybe doing a little sculpting now and then? Well, now and then. <laughs> well, how about music? Oh, well, of course, yes. Well, then, Doug, you're just the man I want to talk to. Do you know about the RCA Victor 45? Mm, a little bit, but not near as much, Jimmy, as I understand you know about it. You know, Doug, I'm practically in love with the 45 system. First of all, it sounds so much better. A musician's dream. Imagine the thrill it gives great musicians like Toscanini and Horowitz to hear their music exactly as they recorded it, perfectly reproduced on the distortion-free 45. Oh, I should think so. Doug, those RCA Victor 45s are tops in sound. Not only that, they play so much easier. Yeah, so I understand, but why easier? Well, because with one hand, you can load ten records onto the big center spindle with no fishing around for a small center hole. Oh, that's a help. And then you press one button once, and you have up to 50 minutes of music. Wonderful. These new seven-inch records have it. Seven inches? Well, that's no bigger than... Than a, the uh, average book. Yeah. Which means you can store RCA Victor 45 records on ordinary bookshelves. What's more, the 45 records are non-breakable. Well, how many 45s has RCA Victor released, Jimmy, so Over 2,100 titles now, and more are pouring out each week. Good. All the new pop tunes, all the classics. In fact, every new record RCA Victor issues is released on 45. Hmm. But what's even more important to a lot of people is their low cost. 45 RPM record prices begin at 46 cents, plus tax. Automatic 45 changes start as low as 12.95. Well, that's cheap enough. Doug, what you should do, and that goes for everybody listening in is to visit your RCA Victor dealer tomorrow and see how easy it is to make the swing to 45 and enjoy the benefits of the record system of the future. 
Ladies and gentlemen, there's a kind of delicate interrelationship between a screen director and a film story. For instance, take The Fighting O'Flynn. The director made a motion picture out of the story, and the story <laughs> made an Irishman out of the director. This last took some doing in view of the fact that he was born in Norway. Now I'd like you to meet him, an accomplished stage and screen director, actor and writer, and my director in The Fighting O'Flynn, Arthur Pearson. Thank you, Doug. But I, I think we all came out of the O'Flynn with a touch of shillelagh in our hearts. And better men we are for it, too. But, Doug, I hear you've deserted the uh, Emerald Isle for Central Europe in your next picture, State Secret. That's right, Arthur. State Secret is out of Ireland and into modern dress for an exciting tale of totalitarianism. But for all that, we're still a couple of celluloid sons of Dublin. And here's my thanks for a beautiful job of directing in The Fighting O'Flynn. You made it easy for the actors to tell the story, but... I suppose that's because you were an actor and writer yourself. Well, I tried. As a matter of fact, Doug, I used to write for the radio, a program called The Lincoln Highway. I remember. Any other shows, Arthur? Well, once in a while, I'd write one of those interviews where the actor talks to somebody after the drama. Oh, yes, I've heard of those. You know, the ones that always ends with the people saying, um, good night? Good night. Good night, Doug. Good night, Arthur. <laughs> good night, everyone. And good night to you, Douglas Fairbanks and Arthur Pearson. Remember next Friday, Ray Milland in It Happens Every Spring with screen director Lloyd Bacon, brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. The Fighting O'Flynn was presented through the courtesy of the Fairbanks Company of Universal International Studios, now releasing One-Way Street, starring James Mason, Marta Torrin, and Dan Duryea. Meg Randall can now be seen with Marjorie Maine and Percy Kilbride in Ma and Pa Kettle Go to Town, a Universal International picture. Included in tonight's cast were Ramsey Hill, Dan O'Herlihy, Raymond Burr, Frank Gerstle, Paul Fries, and Frank Barton. The Fighting O'Flynn was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger, and original music was composed and conducted by Robert Armbruster. The Screen Director's Playhouse is produced by Howard Wiley, with dramatic direction by Bill Karn. Portions of the program were transcribed. You are invited to listen again next Friday, when RCA Victor presents... Screen Director's Playhouse, star Ray Milland, production It Happens Every Spring, director Lloyd Bacon... Ladies and gentlemen, all of us who have read the dread figures on cancer in America have learned to fear the disease. Today, we are fighting both fear and cancer itself. The American Cancer Society is carrying on that fight right now, but with pitifully inadequate funds. If the work is to continue, all of us must help with contributions. In the sternest meaning of the phrase, cancer research is a race against time, a race to save hundreds of thousands of lives. In 1950 alone, 200,000 Americans will die of the disease, and the fatal figures will continue year after year unless you help to strike back against cancer by joining the 1950 Cancer Crusade. 
Contact your local branch of the American Cancer Society or simply address your contribution to cancer care of your local post office. Stay tuned for Jimmy Durante. He's the great Rupert, you know, on NBC. And that'll do it for another edition of Canadians in Old Time Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me again soon. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking. <laughs>